Our sermon passage for this morning is Exodus 12, 21 to 51. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves, according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked unleavened bread cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is brought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel should keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did, just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. My plea with you this morning is that you would take your word and 
drive it home in your people. Lord, cause us to believe. Cause us to hear. Fill us with awe. Fill us with wonder. Overwhelm us anew at who you are and how you deliver and how you can be trusted and how you keep your word and how nothing shall separate your people from you and how you're able to accomplish all things. Lord, fill us with these truths again. There are some, if not many, in this room who need to be drawn to you even for the first time. Lord, would you save? This room is filled with people who need to be drawn closer to you, to be restored and renewed in your gospel, to find help in you. Father, would you work? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 12. A few warnings for you guys this morning. Um, number one, I haven't preached in about three weeks, so I got this itchy thing going on, ready to work. Um, second, I've never been known for being brief. Third, I actually haven't been studying the verses that Stephen read for you this week. I've been studying the first 12 chapters of Exodus, and I have way too much information for one sermon. So we'll see what happens. The good news for you guys in the second service, it's always better the second time. It's our little secret though, okay? I used to text um, Andy Dukes at the end of the day which sermon to put on the internet. Now we just don't even, it, it's just assumed to. Here at Redeemer, we build our annual celebrations around the most important events for us. We make sure we celebrate the birth of Jesus, God taking on flesh to come to carry out God's saving plan. And we make sure that we celebrate um, the ministry and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, whereby our salvation was accomplished. We typically call that Easter. So for the next three weeks, three Sundays here at Redeemer, we're, we're looking toward Jesus. We're looking toward what he has accomplished in celebrating that. And today, we're going to celebrate Jesus by looking back way before Jesus to, to a passage that gives us so much truth and hope. And here's what this Exodus passage tells us. It's known as the Passover. But what this passage tells us is that God's people are those who have experienced God's powerful deliverance. Who are we? We are those who have experienced God's powerful deliverance and now we belong to God. That's who we are. And the Exodus event, the Passover event, was a definitive, real moment in history where God again reminded his people that their identity was those who have experienced God's powerful deliverance. So that's the point. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at the event, the real event that happened in real space, in real time, to real people, in a real place, 
And then I want us to ask the question, what do we do with this event? So the first point, if you're a note taker, is the Passover event. And it's going to be, um, it's going to be the, the longer portion of this sermon. It, 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 it's a, but it's a story that overwhelms with the fact that God's people are God's people because God delivers his people by his power and so they can belong to him. That's who we are. That's who Israel was, and that's who we are. We're not the people that are more moral. We're not the people that try harder. We're not the people that come to church on Sunday. We're not the people that are better. We're not the people that vote the right way. We're not the people that are more moral. We're the people who were miraculously delivered by God's power from bondage for God's purpose. That's who we are, and that's all we are, and that's all we'll ever be. God's people delivered by God's power. And those of you that love a good story, love to have flesh and bones put on truth, this story is a vivid depiction of what that looks like. So let's get the picture and then we'll ask the question, what do we do? So in Exodus 12, what Stephen just read for us, God's people Israel were trapped in slavery by a power opposed to God. God's people, Israel, were trapped in slavery by a power opposed to God. And the power here is Pharaoh. Now, we, we in our current world don't have a good equivalent for Pharaoh because Pharaoh viewed himself both as a king and a god. Both as a, a geopolitical leader of a a kingdom, is Egypt, and as a deity worthy of worship. So when Pharaoh has Israel in slavery, it's not just geopolitical slavery, but it's a false god claiming reign over God's people. There's so much going on here beyond Politics and geopolitical entities. And in the story, God's people are decisively delivered by God's power. So a little backstory. Perhaps some of you are new to the scripture. Let me see if I can encapsulate the first two books of the Bible in a couple minutes. There's one true God. He created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis chapter 12, he, he, he called out a man named Abram. He renamed him Abraham. And he said, you are chosen by me, and I'm going to send you, and I am going to make you a great nation. And through you, all the families, all the nations, all of the earth is going to be blessed. So God said, I'm going to build my people through you. And then the story of Abraham is this, this cycle of a promise from God a crisis looking like God's not going to keep his promise, and then a great deliverance. And then another crisis, and I mean, then a renewing of the promise, and then another crisis, and a great deliverance. And basically the Old Testament just spirals this forward until we get to Jesus, the great deliverer. Okay, And so where we are in this is we are in one of those cycles. And so let's just trace this out if we can. So Abraham had a son named Isaac. There's a crisis and a deliverance there that I won't go into. 
And then Isaac had a son named Jacob. And there's a crisis and a deliverance there that I won't go into. But then Jacob meets the Lord and wrestles with God. And God renames Jacob Israel. So the people of Israel are just these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And then one of the crises was one of Jacob's 12 sons named Joseph. His brothers fake his death because they're mad at him. By the way, kids, don't try this at home, okay? They fake his death. They sell him into slavery. But part of God's miraculous deliverance is Joseph goes through all these hardships to end up the number two in command in the nation of Israel. And Joseph has this dream whereby whereby a famine is coming and God tells him how to prepare Egypt for the famine and Pharaoh lets Joseph do that. And so when the famine comes to the whole region, the only country in all the region that has food is Egypt. And so everybody's coming down. So one of these crises is God's people, Israel, don't have food. And if we all die off, how can we be a great nation through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed? And God miraculously delivers them because they come to Egypt for food. And there's Joseph who welcomes them and forgives them. And they all move down to Egypt and they're blessed because their brother is number two in command in the world. So you see, crisis, deliverance. Then we're told Exodus chapter 1, where, where this story begins, because it's really a 12-chapter story. Exodus chapter 1, there's a new Pharaoh, a new God-king, who, that's air quotes, God-king, by the way. Let me get that right. Um, there, there's a new Pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph, meaning Israel's place of protection in Egypt is no longer there. And so, enter new crisis. We're told in Exodus chapter 1 that the Pharaoh commands the midwives to kill all the sons who were born to Israel. Now, don't let that just pass you by as an innocuous thing. How do you do away with a people? You make it where they can't reproduce. And if you cut out one gender, they're gone. It takes one generation to do that. The midwives wouldn't do it. So then second, he says, all of you, when the sons of Israel are born, they must be put in a basket and put in the Nile, inevitably to float to their death. So Pharaoh's trying to eradicate the people. That doesn't work. So he raises their suffering. He raises their slavery. And he makes their lives hard. And we're told in chapter 2, In verse 23, that the people of Israel feel the weight of the crisis and they cry out to God for help. And the story that we have in Exodus 12 and in the Passover is the deliverance that God is bringing to his people. But we must understand that the deliverance is not a deliverance for convenience. It's not a deliverance for comfort. It's not a deliverance to have your best Israel now. But rather, it's a deliverance from bondage and ultimate destruction. If Israel is destroyed, God's word fails. If Israel is destroyed, God's plan fails. If Israel is destroyed, God's word will not 
be accomplished and the world will remain without hope and without their God. You see, there's so much going on here. And that's why this deliverance had to be so definitive and so decisive and so clear. So what happens in the mysterious and glorious providence of God, one of those baby boys in the basket gets picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. Get the irony here, right? And is raised in Pharaoh's house. And then goes out into a wilderness and meets with God. And God reveals himself to him and says, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. And so this baby becomes Moses. I guess he always was Moses. But he grows up to be the man that we know as Moses. And so Moses and Aaron, whom God appointed to work with Moses, they go to Pharaoh and they say, Pharaoh, the God who is, who always is and always will be, That God says to let his people go so they can worship him. Chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh says this. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Now, friends, this is not an evangelistic inquiry. And this is not an apologetic interview. This is a statement of defiance. It's a statement of of power, and it's a statement of unbelief, and it says, I am greater than your God. You go ahead and try to take the people out of my land. That's what he's saying. So Exodus 6, God meets with his people, and he promises that he will deliver them so that they can worship him and serve him, and he will keep his word, and then God sets out to deliver his people. And it comes in the form of what we know as the ten plagues. The ten plagues. And in the ten plagues, there's a pattern. Let my people go. I will not. Plague. Let my people go. I will not. Plague. Let my people go. I will not. Plague. So, What you can infer there, and I don't think infer, I think it's clear, is if at any moment Pharaoh would have let let the people of Israel go, the plagues would have stopped. But it takes ten of them to get Pharaoh to finally let God's people go. The plagues were, turn all the water in the land to blood, fill the land with frogs, fill the land with gnats, Fill the land with swarms of flies. Kill all the Egyptian livestock. Cause boils to rise up on the skin of the people. Flood the the land with hail, which would destroy all the plants. Send locusts into the land, which would get the rest of the plants. Fill the land with, with darkness for several days. And then the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn son of all the people of Egypt. And the purpose of these plagues was for God to demonstrate God's power over his world, over the false gods of Egypt, and over the false king of Egypt. It was God's way of saying, I am the Lord. It was God's way of saying, I'm going to show you who I am. 
Not to be tisk-tisk, but so that you will know. Now many, this will take a little side note here, many modern, secular, skeptical thinkers, and we get sucked into this at church, look at these ten plagues, and we say, this is evil. I can't believe in a God that would let these things happen. Anybody ever run into that? Or maybe even wrestle with that yourself? Here's a few thoughts on that. One commentator I read this week said, well, the part of the problem here is we read this story as monotheists, meaning people who believe that there is one God, or as atheists, meaning we believe that there is no God. But Egypt believed in many gods. And so it took many plagues to defeat many gods. Not only that, but they were... Um, a little bit animist in the sense that they believed that there was a God over the plant life and a God over the water life and a God over the sun and a God over this and a God over that. And so with each one of these plagues, God is saying, I'm greater than that God and I'm greater than that God and I'm greater than that God. And now I'm going to deliver my people. Now a second aside that has nothing to do with Exodus, but one of the things that will make the Bible make so much sense to you is if you can understand that in one moment and in one decision, God can be accomplishing millions of things at the same time. I mean, have you ever heard of somebody say, well, I believe that 9-11 happened so that I could become a Christian? And you think, well, that's a little you-centered version of the world, right? But it's possible that God, that event happened so that God could accomplish millions of things, of which one of them is this. So in the plagues, what's God doing? He's delivering his people. He's keeping his word. He's showing his power. He's showing Egypt that he is the one true God. He's showing Pharaoh that he's the one true God. And he's inviting them all to come and worship at his feet. All of these things are going on in these plagues. But the last great plague is the death of the firstborn son. That's the Passover. See, I told you that was a lot of intro. But you see the crisis moment that we're in? And God is going to deliver his people. And so the tenth plague, let my people go, I will not do it, your firstborn son will die. Your firstborn will die. And so what Stephen just read for us is God setting up and telling his people exactly what to do. Because here's what was going to happen. On the night of the Passover, death was going to visit every single Death was going to visit every single home. But God said, I will definitively and decisively provide you, my people, a way out of this death. And he said, kill a lamb, catch its blood in a basin, get a branch of hyssop, which would resemble a modern day sponge, dip it in the blood, Put some on the top center of the door and some on the two posts of the door. Now, now let's be really clear. It, it wasn't that that blood had power. But that blood displayed that God's people trusted God's word. That blood was the sign that the people in this house trust me. The people in this house follow me. The people in this house believe that there's a way of escape 
through me. And so what he says is that the angel of death, it was coming to the Israel, Israelite houses as well. But when the angel saw the blood on the door, he would pass over that house and not go in. The implication is if the angel of death goes in, the firstborn is dying. If he passes over, no one is dying. Now, again, we often joke here at Redeemer, we don't do creativity well. We just name things for what they are. Prayer meeting means you meet and you pray. Passover, it's very simple. The angel of death, he passed over. That's it. That's the meaning. The name is the story. And so on this evening, the angel came to visit every house. And those who had the blood of the lamb on the door, the angel passed over. And those for whom he did not, the angel came in and the firstborn died. And we're told that it happened quickly, it happened definitively, it happened decisively. There were screams throughout Egypt, and Pharaoh set them free. So, what do we learn about God's deliverance from the story of the Passover? I have six things. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about um, in in the middle of my living room floor, um, there is a red and a green and a yellow rug that was handmade in Morocco. Um, It was a wedding gift to my wife and I, which means they did pretty well in Morocco because it's lasted almost 20 years. Um, But if you know these type of, of Middle Eastern rugs well, you'll know that that if your kid or the vacuum cleaner gets a little bit anxious, it can snag a string on the end of the rug. And when you pull that string, you can see how that one string is woven throughout the whole rug because the whole thing snags up all the way to the other end. You know what I'm talking about? And you lovingly encourage your children to stop, and then you stretch it back out and try to hide the evidence, right? Right? Somebody like, I wouldn't be so loving. Yeah, me neither. Okay. Um, but these six things that we see in the Passover, they're like those strings. You pull them, you pull them, and they go all throughout the Bible, and they go all the way to Jesus. And every one of them points to Jesus. So Jesus was this being, this son of God who came and had all these strings of God's promise terminating in him. But we can pull them and we can see God saying, this is what my deliverance looks like. So six, at least six. Okay, yeah, we only have time for like three of them. We're going to go with six. Six things we see about God's deliverance in this Passover story. Number one. We see that death is coming to every house. I get this, friends. Israel deserved death just as much as Egypt. Don't want to be heretical here, but Moses deserved death just as much as Pharaoh. The difference between Moses and Pharaoh was the God who delivers. The God who is. The God who invites wretched people to himself. And we learn from this that death is coming to every single door. Praise be the name of God. Moses didn't receive death and neither did his son. But that was by God's doing. 
not by Moses' morality or his purity. Number two, it is God who delivers his people. Often we read our Bibles backward, like we, we, we start with the New Testament and then we read back to the beginning. And so when we, we see things like spiritual death and God delivering us from spiritual death, like well, none of us have ever died, so we were like, oh, that must not be that big of a deal, right? But these stories like the Exodus, if we read it this way, they show us what a big deal we're talking about. And I just wonder, I just wonder if anybody on the morning after the Passover looked at their wife and went, man, we put a great barrier behind that door, didn't we? We kept that angel of death out. No. Nobody did. No one did. What they said was, praise the Lord who provided a way through the blood of a lamb. It's God who delivers God's people in a miraculous and definitive way. Let us never try to elevate ourselves to a place of taking what only God can do. Our deliverance is from the Lord. Number three, the third kind of thread of God's power here is, is this story reminds us that death is required for our deliverance. The story reminds us that death is required for our deliverance. See, in each one of those homes, a lamb died for the firstborn. In each one of those homes, the blood of a lamb was spilled for the firstborn. And what this begins to show us is that God delivers and God forgives, but God will punish sin. The lamb replaced the firstborn. Don't worry, we'll come back to that. Number four. This deliverance story shows us that God keeps his promises. This deliverance story shows us that God keeps his promises. He told in chapter 6 the people that he was going to deliver them. And then he told at the beginning of chapter 12 the people exactly how he was going to deliver them in great meticulous detail. Even how they would remember it for years to come. And he kept his promise. Not only that, before Israel ever went to Egypt, God told them they were going to go to Egypt, and he told them exactly how long they would be there, and that's why it goes to great detail in verses 40 and 41 and 42 to say they were there for 430 years, and in the 430th year, they were delivered. God keeps his promises to his people, and we can build our lives on that. Number five. Worship is the appropriate response to God's deliverance. And by the way, worship's not just music. Worship's not just what happens in this room on Sunday morning while those things are intended to lead us into corporate worship. Worship is expressing the greatness and the worth of God. And we're told... In chapter 12 and verse 27, that after 
Moses and Aaron had told the people what God was going to do and exactly how he was going to do it, we're told, and the people bowed their heads and they worshipped God. How did they respond? They responded in amazing praise and thanksgiving and giving worship to God. I don't know if they put their hands in the air and danced or if they bowed and wept or everything in between, but the response to God's deliverance is worshiping God. And, and we attune our hearts and our lives to the greatness of God as we celebrate our The deliverance was never about Israel. It was about the nations knowing God. Which means there's room in this deliverance Israel mattered, Israel had the promises, but Israel was a means to the end of Abraham's children being the conduit through which the nations were blessed. That was always the purpose. And so we're told in 1238 that a mixed multitude went up with them. Do you see that? People who were not born the physical offspring of Abraham left with them worshiping the God of Abraham. And then in verses 43 through 49, God makes provision in the ongoing celebration of the Passover for those who were not the descendants of Abraham to know God, be accepted by God, and celebrate Passover with them. The nations were always in view. And what the good news when we read nations as a room full of Gentiles is that God was always saying there was room in the deliverance for us. And then to look out at our neighbors and out at those we go to school with and out at our co-workers and out at the nations and out at the people that our news outlets hate and say there's room in the blessing of God for them too. So those six threads, they go all the way through the Bible and they find their yes and their amen and their fulfillment in Jesus. Which comes to the second point. I told you the first point was going to be long. Second point, remembering the Passover. Exodus 12 is filled. The majority of the words in Exodus 12 are not actually about what God is going to do on that night to Egypt. But it's about how what God was going to do would be remembered in the future. He actually says in 1217, it's a statute forever. And what's going on here is God actually says, I don't want you to forget this. I want it to shape you. When your children say, Daddy, who are we? Not we have the blood of Abraham coursing in our veins. And not we're morally superior, but we're the people that God delivered that night in Egypt. 
That's who we are. And we're the people that God will always keep his word to. That's who we are. And therefore, he said, every year, in meticulous fashion, you will celebrate and remember the Passover so that you never forget you are my people because I delivered you. You're my people because I keep my word. You're my people because I chose to bless you. That's who we are. And that celebration, actually, you would be kind of surprised how infrequently Israel actually celebrated the Passover. But God desired it to be celebrated every year. And that celebration carried all the way forward until there was a man born of a virgin woman named Mary. His name was Jesus. And he came walking the earth. And do you know one of the first things that's recorded about Jesus in John chapter 1? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then at the end of John, this is John chapter 19. We're told that Jesus was condemned and handed over to death on the day of preparation. And we who don't know our Bibles that well go, oh, okay, the day of preparation. Preparation for what? For Passover. The day that the lambs were killed, Jesus was handed over to death. The Passover was all about Jesus. The Passover was all about the Lamb of God who would definitively take away the sin of the world. Who would definitively deliver the people from sin and death. So the Passover in Exodus 12, God delivered his people from physical bondage through physical lambs. And in Jesus, that, guys, guys, the Passover in Exodus 12... It's not the meal. It's all the appetizer. It's just the warm-up stuff. The meal was that there was a greater enemy than Pharaoh. And there was a greater bondage than slavery in Egypt trying to eradicate the people. That bondage was sin and death. And the Bible tells us that there is an evil one who is out to lie and kill and destroy And it took something far greater than a sheep or a goat to deliver us from Satan and sin and death. It took the Son of God who came to be our Lamb, who would take our sin and give us our deliverance forever. The Passover was always about the one who was to come. So how do we remember the Passover? By believing in Jesus. How do we remember the Passover? By allowing the blood of Jesus to cover our sin and reconcile us to God. How do we remember the Passover? By recognizing that if we're in Christ, we have new life and new life everlasting. Now, can I do one more aside here? I'm afraid something might be confusing. We no longer celebrate the Passover annually because the Passover lamb has been slain once and for all. His name is Jesus. We don't need Passovers. We don't need lambs to be killed. We don't need that on an annual basis because Jesus has done it for us. 
Actually, Jesus has given us a new Passover celebration. It's the Lord's Supper. Because on the last night of his life, he took the bread, the bread of the, of the Passover celebration, and he broke it. And he said, this is now my body broken for you. As often as you do it, do it what? In remembrance of me. This is in Luke 22. And then he took the cup. The cup which represented God's deliverance of God's people. And he, he said, take this and drink it as often as you drink it what? In remembrance of me. So our Passover lamb is Jesus. And our ongoing celebration is the Lord's Supper. And we must not get those things confused. So if you're a Redeemer insider, you might be like, hold up, dude. The back of the bulletin says we're going to have a Passover Seder in like 10 days. What's that all about? We are not trying to keep Exodus 12. We have a Passover Seder celebration as a way to teach that Jesus is the solution. We walk through a Passover Seder as a, a Jewish person would, would as a way to say, and Jesus is our lamb, and Jesus is our hope, and the Lord's Supper is our feast, and we remember him. So it's a pedagogical thing. It's not a religious observance as you would find in Exodus 12. And let's not mix our metaphors. Everybody good on that? Okay, Jesus is the lamb. It's all about Jesus. So here's the question. How do you respond to Jesus? And I don't mean that one time in the past where you walk an aisle and did some religious thing, but today, how do you respond to Jesus? Because the story of Jesus always reminds us that judgment is coming. God delivers. We need the death of another for our deliverance. God keeps his promises. Worship is the appropriate response. And there's room in the deliverance for you. Always and every time. None of you are too far from the grace of God extended in Christ Jesus. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you said to your spouse in the car on the way here this morning. None of us are too far to receive the grace of God that changes everything. So how do you respond to Jesus? In just a moment, the team's going to come. Some men are going to come. They're going to pass out the bread. They're going to pass out the cup. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Each week here at Redeemer, we take the Lord's Supper as a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. Anyone here who, is a, who has a believer in Jesus, who has professed faith in him, and made that publicly known to the church, we invite you to take the bread and the cup with us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you're here today, you're exploring the faith, if you're here today, you're not sure where you stand before God, let the bread and the cup pass, because there's nothing magical that's going to happen with those things. Nothing. Let them pass. But today, wrestle with this question. How do I respond to Jesus?